Hello and welcome to Leadership, the Future and Tea, a podcast hosted by Andy Davis featuring Ian Moffat, Deborah Hartung and Hitton Bat. A podcast for people who are passionate about making a difference at work. Okay, everybody, welcome to Leadership, the Future and Tea. Uh, we've got another special guest episode today. And today I'm joined by uh, Julie Hodges, or uh, more precisely, Professor Dr. Julie Hodges. Julie, is that correct? Professor is fine. Professor. I love it. I love it. Um, welcome, Julie. It's an uh, absolute honour and a pleasure to have you join us today. Um, Julie, if it's okay with you, I'm just going to go through your little introduction here just to tell the world about you and just our listeners, okay? So, um, and we are truly honoured to have Julie with us because she's a a leading expert in organisational change, worked extensively at strategic level in both academic and the business world in the field of organisational change and transformation. She's an experienced coach, consultant, uh, facilitator of individuals, groups and businesses facing and going through organisational change. And she's written several books on leading change, uh, sorry, leading and managing change, including and bear with me on this because there's a great list coming up. Sustaining change in organisations, managing and leading people through change, consultancy, organisational development change, en- engaging employees with organisational change. And we're going to put all of those in the show notes at the end. And finally, just if that wasn't enough, Julie is uh, runs leadership programmes for women in the Middle East, Asia and the UK. Julie, awesome. we're, we're delighted to have you with us. Thank you for joining. You're welcome. It's a pleasure to be here today. As, as always, Julie, we, we say to all our guests that uh, we're just here to have a conversation over a coffee. And um, truly, Julie, our, our, our ambition is to learn from you, OK? And um, me and Ian get out of bed every morning. We, we want to learn, don't we, Ian? We certainly do. That, that's part of our mission, mate. Yeah, that's it. That's it. And again, what we're trying to do, Julie, here on the, the podcast is just to help out leaders of all different levels in all different organisations and to to draw on your expertise. And I wonder if you can just kick us off with a thought about who's your leadership role model, please. Yeah, I, I probably have two, actually. Um, and when I was thinking, you know, to think about it, I, I always my first degree is in history. So I always go back wow. in time. Yeah. To look at um, leadership role models and the, the two that I have the first one is Rosa Parks um, and for those of you that don't know the story um, I think it was about in 1955 that Rosa Parks who was an African-American woman she was living in Montgomery Alabama she challenged the race segregation that existed in parts of the U.S. by refusing to give up her seat on a bus so that a white person could sit down and her protest actually um, support, was supported by many other African-Americans and it sparked the civil rights movement, which in the 1960s eventually won equal rights. And why I pick Rosa's because she showed courage, she showed determination and she focused on others at a time when it was really difficult for not only an African-American to do that, but for a woman African-American. Yeah. 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 Um, my second one, my second one, and again it goes back to my my historical studies, is Emmeline Parkhurst, and she was a social mm-hmm. reformer who, yeah. in in the early 1900s, she founded what's called the Women's Social and Political Union to campaign for parliamentary votes for women in in Britain, and the motto of that was um, of the union of that union was deeds not words, and that's exactly yeah. what Emmeline did in terms was very active 
in, in attempting to get the, the votes for women at the time. She was a very charismatic leader. She was a fantastic orator in terms yeah. of being able to galvanize crowds around her. And she led thousands of, of women to demand, rather than ask politely, I'd say, for their democratic right in a mass movement that has Brilliant. probably been unparalleled in British history. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, and probably. She was, yeah. she was always at the heart of the struggle, which meant that she did go to prison several times, in fact, for her, her cause. Amazing. So, again, why I have chosen her, very similar to Rosa Parks, is that Emmeline was determined, she was courageous, but she was also very focused on other people and supporting them in, in, in getting the, the votes for women. Wow, fantastic. Those are two amazing choices. I, th I think it's, the choices that I've made are because leaders leaders um are not just the ones that come to our minds immediately oh yeah, yeah. All, all all different elements and, and that leadership is something that happens not just at the top of the organization yeah. but it happens Definitely. at levels in in an organization i mean could you could you measure the social change that those two people have brought about just a measurable, isn't it? it? Yeah, absolutely. I think it's clearly measurable, isn't it, in terms yeah. of the just what they kicked off and, and what they yeah, changed yeah. In, in history. And that often we can see that replicated in organisations, that great leaders are the ones that make the changes, but not just because of their own ego, but they do that in a collective way. Yeah, and we we Ian, we talk about this a lot on this yeah. podcast, don't we? About leaders, and uh, we our, our mantra on this uh, podcast, Julie, is about that leadership isn't just about the CEO, Definitely. and we 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 keep on trying to educate people that leadership happens in all levels throughout the organisation, and mm -hmm. it's not about the title that you have, it's not about the pay packet you receive. Actually, it's more about actually the attitude that you have uh, towards actually delivering things, and. And that's one of those things that there's there's so many people and the whole imposter syndrome thing as well kicks in for people that they never quite know or expect or want to be that leader. And actually, by probably by dint of their actions, they actually are. So. Um, so, yeah, yeah, those those two ladies that you mentioned there, 100 percent, they are stone cold leaders. Right. They yeah. absolutely led led the way, led their field. And uh, yeah, great examples, really great examples. And. And again, we often talk about traits, Julie, in terms of leaders that we see and that we expect to see. Yeah. Yeah. What are the traits that you look for when you think about a leader? Yeah, the, the, the traits that I look for, yeah, the, I mean, they're, they're, the traits I look for are, are traits, I think, that are so evident today as, as we see organisations that are trying, are struggling, are trying to cope with a, a global pandemic. And, and the traits yeah. that I look for and I'll say a bit more about them around flexibility and adaptability. Yeah, yeah. Sure. Also, um, humility, and I think that's absolutely key for leaders. And then the final one is about active listening. And, and I would say going back to flexibility and adaptability. So we're currently faced with unprecedented uncertainty mm. in organisations. And I think what leaders need to do is to avoid sticking to the temptation to stick with decisions that they may have made because yeah. that is not working at the moment there has to be uh, you know they, they have to be able to to adapt and flex and make changes in in terms of decisions that they are making because I think it's vital to have that ability to be able to review and often review very quickly at the moment yeah. as we go through such you know emergent and chaotic change as mm. well so I think that leaders do need to be able to do that and um, both for the um benefit of their business 
but also because of the health and the well wellness of their staff sure. as well. Yeah, um, that's vital. And the other um, trait is is humility. I, I think that leaders, unfortunately, are often expected to know it all and to make perfect decisions. And yeah. the truth is that they are just as human and fallible as anybody else. I love and that. In, yeah. In the, and chartered waters, one of the biggest mistakes leaders can make is pretending they know more than they do or making decisions relying only on their instinct or their previous experience. And I think leaders need to to find will find themselves needing to rely on expertise that they don't themselves have Absolutely. in order to make the best decisions for the organization. And, and this means looking at how they can engage um, their key stakeholders, both internally and externally in the organization in deciding you know, what needs to change, how it will change, and how could we can do that in a way that is much more co-creative and more collaborative as well. What, what do you think of the, so what do you think to the idea of vulnerability? I mean, people have started to have this conversation mm. around this idea of embracing vulnerability. Because you, you, we're humans, right? And and at best, at best, we're we're you know childlike in some of the ways in which we respond at times, and, and in other parts, there's the the more reptilian part of the brain, which is very much instinctive and actually has a has an effect on how we we think and act. So you know, where do you think the the place is for vulnerability? Because we've talked a lot there about this idea of saying, well, I'm, I haven't got all the answers and I need to open up to collaboration. So what's what's your sort of thoughts around yeah. vulnerability? And I, I think that's important because, you know, leaders are human, they're human people. And, and there has to be that, in a way, transparency that shows that they don't know all the answers. And, and to be open and honest to say that, in, in fact, um, and in a way that, um, you know, that that helps to show that they're vulnerable, that they don't know everything, in fact. So I think it is really important that leaders do come up, you know, do show that vulnerability, because at the moment, everybody across the, the globe is feeling vulnerable in terms of, you know, do these, is, are their jobs still safe? Yeah, 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 definitely, definitely. Uh, what does the future hold as well, too? And that links to, I think that links to the other trait um, that I mentioned, which is active listening. Mm. I, and I think that, you know, we're, we, we can all hear things, we're all born to hear, but active listening is something that needs to be developed much more. And I think yeah. that for leaders, it's absolutely vital that they are actively listening all the time, but particularly during this time of uncertainty that we are all going through as well. And, and it's, that means it's about shifting gears to sort of, you know, just, just nodding heads. It's actually about listening to understand what people are saying, and understanding yeah. people's concerns, their fears, but also listening to ideas and any innovation um, opportunities that they might be coming up with as, as well. I, I think it's often seen as a really simple skill trait to have, but it's completely underused when it comes to leaders. Yeah, yeah. yeah no, definitely. Point. One of the things that you mentioned earlier on, Julia, is, is about people, that leaders in particular, not wanting to actually change the decision that they've already made. At that sort of belligerence about I've decided this and by God we're going to stick to it. Um, what, what do you say to those people that are really actually still stuck in that mindset? Is it time for them to move over and some, let somebody else have a go? Is, is are we at that serious point? I, I, I'm going to jump in there for a second though, just just to, to, on this because um, 
the whole of the media and the whole of society sees anyone that's in any sort of public eye the minute they talk about u-turn it's oh they did a u you know we're not we're not incentivized to have that flexibility mm. which i think which i think is crazy really because you know at the end of the day we do live in a very flexible adaptive world that's just getting more and more uncertain right post covid is going to be more uncertain so yeah. what, what do we think about society's view of a u-turn <laughs> I, I think again, <laughs> if it, yeah, but I think if it's if it's it, it, it's done in a way that is clear and there's some yeah, rationale correct. behind it. Correct. At the moment, we're seeing. Um, I, I think the issue is when a decision is made and there's no rationale for why that decision is yeah. made, and then that is changed, and that creates more uncertainty for for people. Yeah. 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 Oh, hundred percent. Hundred percent. And that's why, you know, my encouragement uh, to, out there to leaders is that, as you said, if you've taken on board um other thoughts you've taken on board data rather than just some sort of gut instinct and actually thought about your decision and then actually you do make a change of tack that's entirely rational that's a rational decision to make and and probably the right thing to do uh, i i really i really struggle with the notion that a lot of people are sitting there trying to still do the same thing and right now as people are coming back from covid uh, their operations at work will have changed what worries me is that people are desperately trying to go back to what they were doing before with zero change and yes. um, just doing the same thing you did before but spaced two meters apart that doesn't equal leadership at this moment in time no no indeed I, I, and I, th I think you know I don't, I don't like I don't like this term the new normal how can normal be, be new we may talk about that later <laughs> but I think on the other flip side is there's, there's it's a time to look for opportunity as well. And you're right. If we all go back to doing what we've always done, then actually, what have we learned from this experience? Yeah, but if you yeah. think about it, virtually overnight, we've all had to change from working in, in offices um, to actually working remotely. Yeah. yeah. I, I, and that's been a lot of people have had to suddenly get used to using different types of technology oh yeah, yeah and, you know the technological innovations were always going to come but they have changed over overnight so yeah. it's about how can we not lose that how can we continue to build on it mm. that's you know, important yeah yeah definitely yeah definitely Ian do you want to uh ask the next one yeah so I was going to get into uh, getting back to that change topic a little bit so what have you seen in the last, say, three years? Has there been any sort of major shifts in the way in which people approach change? Because, you know, everything's changing all the time. If you if you think about it, you know, everything's continually changing. But in terms of organisational change and, you know, explicit change that happens with uh, projects, organisations, what, what are the major shifts in how people are approaching that? Would you yeah, say? So, yeah, so traditionally, um, change has been planned hasn't it and it's what we are yeah. comfortable in in doing we have our spreadsheets we have our milestones we have our tasks yeah. and there's been a massive amount that has been written about it and but also classically change in that way is often driven from the top down as mm. well you know so all of these classic models that we have and we teach in business schools is usually about top down plan change that is imposed on people so there's, there's been a couple of things that have, have happened. One, in terms of the approach that I take to change and having seen it both working um, you know, for a number of years in, in business and in yeah. academia and also in my research, is that change doesn't happen because somebody comes up with a really nice spreadsheet. It, it doesn't happen. <laughs> yeah. 
yeah. because it's a nice new process or a new note. Change happens because people are involved and engaged in it yeah. and wherever feasible. And I say this because this is important and I do recognize there's times when change has to be implemented through compliance if there's new rules or regulations. But whenever feasible, when people are engaged, given the opportunity to be engaged in the change. So yeah. that means engaged in decision making about what it is that needs to change to meet the needs of advancing technology for example, in the workplace. Um, when people are involved in that dialogue as well, then change and research shows us change can be much more effective. Yeah, sure. so it's, it's shifting it from change being process and top down led to being much more people led that that that's a shift. The other thing that has happened, and this is a result of, of COVID, is that change has emerged it has uh, has has not been planned you know yeah, nobody yeah. planned what would happen so change has completely emerged that has been chaotic it has been complex yeah. and people have had to change overnight and, and there's been no plans in place i mean it's been incredible right. that many companies did not have you know um contingency plans in place for this happening but things were done overnight and they were done very quickly in fact an emergent change has very different implications to plan traditional change that we're all all used to. However, it does also mean, I think that the, the emergent change does offer scope for ensuring that, um, depending on the pace, that people are engaged and are involved in it as well. So, and I, I guess it's highly likely that we may well see more of this emergent change in, in the future. Yeah. yeah, I yeah. I love I love the the whole thing of emergent change and uh, and I'm I'm a big fan of the fact that the plan change is probably the ones that stick less than the more emergent change <clears throat> that are led by people um further down the chain that probably have a bigger buy-in and a bigger attachment to that change that is actually made. Um I I think that that's going to come out of this in more uh, more strength over the coming years and I think those will be the next books that are written but what what do you see are the the changes that the the major changes in leadership that probably even need to support some of that then yeah i, I think um there's been a massive impact or there will be a massive yeah. impact on leadership as a result of the global pandemic and i think the the, the challenge is that something like this there'll be the the impact which i'll talk about in a moment but also there's still the business as usual so we haven't got rid of things like climate change for example uh, correct. how do the how do we go in parallel with this um i think technology overnight has changed how we work and i yep. think that leaders are going to have to look at what's the implications for that of work and the workplace moving forward um you know we're all experiencing what i call the zoomification of work now yeah yep. um, what does that mean um the other element that's really interesting is that a lot of people have managed over the last 12 weeks to work mm -hmm. at home on their own without sure. having a manager or a leader. Uh -huh. yep. their yep. So what, what does that mean in terms of the role of leadership moving forward yeah. when we go back, if we go back into our workplaces? Um, I, I think that there is a need in, in terms of leadership being able to be um, to be able to lead transformations, to be able to lead emergent change. And that involves embracing ambiguity and uncertainty. And, and that's not a natural yeah. um, 
it's something that a lot of people feel comfortable with. Yeah. It is about um, it is going back to looking at in a way giving more power enabling teams in the workplace to make decisions so that may well be in terms of looking at different operating models as well um so looking at where does accountability come um when we go back to to work it is about looking at things like um that haven't gone away you know diversity inclusion the well-being wellness again you know there's massive implications of people being in social isolation and and working remotely that is having an impact on their mental health and their wellness so what are leaders doing about that in fact and 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 i guess just to round off you know classically leadership was all about command and control being told what to do i think what we're going to see is much more towards what's called leadership in practice so about shared and distributive leadership and and that is starting to happen if you think Mm. about it when we're on Zoom, there's not the same hierarchy, is it? We're all yep. on Zoom and, and we can all see little pictures of each other. Exactly, and yeah. And people are, are taking much more responsibility for their own work at home and beginning to work a bit more flexibly depending on whether they've got childcare or other things going on in their, their home life. I do I do love the fact that it's um it's like a good snowstorm, right? It's a great leveller in society in a way. It is that, you know, we get on Zoom calls and everybody gets to get a little bit de, uh, demystified, delayered from, you know, perhaps their persona at work. So we, we, we have the kids or the, you know, the delivery man coming on the on the Zoom call and partners passing cups of tea and coffee, etc. So do you think this is going to, when we go back, do you think people are actually going to be able to go back not only into the processes and the practices, but actually into that persona? Because that's going to be, that's going to be tough, right? It would be tough, but it takes a long time for us to change our behaviours and ways of working. So I think there's a lot of people who can't wait to get back into that. My my hope is, though, that this is an opportunity where we can make some changes about how we lead and manage people in the world. Yeah, Yeah. Yeah, definitely. Definitely. I I think it's a golden opportunity um, for, for, for leaders to, uh, for, for some of them that maybe actually wanted to change but didn't know how to, that they've got an opportunity now that when they get back to work over the coming months, and when I, when I say get back to work through the likes of Zoom, through the likes of part days in the office, maybe not full time back in the office, they have that opportunity now, don't they, to say, I'm going to make a change about me, about how I operate, how my business operates. And even as you say, about things like climate change, that that it just gives people the opportunity to say, hey, listen, we're going to do things differently, right? We we really need to challenge how we work. And actually, do we need all of you guys and girls getting in a car every morning at eight o'clock and fighting your way through the traffic, polluting the atmosphere and getting into work? People now have that opportunity to make a, to, to make a change that until pre-COVID, they didn't really do that because it wasn't expected. Yeah, and exactly. and society and employees and shareholders and everybody just expected the same thing to happen again and again. And uh, I sincerely hope that people take that change. Yeah, I, I, and it can be done. If I give you an example, Please. for years, universities have been talking about, you know, about resisting online teaching, about taking yep. teaching online <laughs> for years, absolute years. Within the space of weeks, it, they managed to go into a virtual teaching environment, which is co- incredible, absolutely Brilliant. incredible. 
successful. Yeah. And, yeah. Oh, and at Durham, it's been really successful in yeah. terms of yeah. what we have done. So it, it shows it can be done. And I think that's the other element now. We've all been talking for such a long time about technological innovations and, yeah. you know, what's their impact on the workplace. Again, we have seen, we, we are seeing how effective we could use technology to work. Mm. Um, so I think there's, again, there's an opportunity here to build on that as oh, well. Yeah, absolutely. And uh, just for, for all the listeners, Julie uh, teaches at Durham Business School and I've had the, the, the pleasure and privilege in going to visit up there. It's a beautiful campus. And again, we're going to put the link into the, uh, the business school at the bottom of the show notes. Um, Julie, can I ask you a question about the change that I've seen recently is, is about to, towards MOOCs, right? And I know that um, Durham has been part of that change. And I think you've been part of, of that process as well. C- can you just tell us what, what's happening with the, the offer of MOOCs and in terms of that take up across uh, across your courses? Yeah, certainly. Well, I can tell you that this week, my MOOC that I designed and delivered on leading and managing change is, uh, is running again. It's, it's Wonderful. run several times. Cool. Um, there's there's people from all over the globe um, that are on it. So there's certainly a, a demand there for, for MOOCs. We're also running one on, um, I think it's in, innovation as, as well. So um, I'm not sure, I can't answer what the longer term strategy yeah. will be for that. Um, but certainly there seems to be a demand globally for, for yeah. MOOCs. Yeah. It's interesting. We spoke to um, uh, one of our colleagues from America, didn't we, in last week, yeah. I think. Yeah. And her focus, she's a, she's a chief learning officer. She's an expert in, in all sorts of L&D functions. And we were talking about the, the real change that people um, haven't really grasped the fact that you can do, I'll call it informal learning as well as very formal learning. OK, we, we can sign up to an MBA at Durham Business School, which would be wonderful and come and do it. But equally, there is other learning that people can complete as yeah. well outside of that. Um, I, I still think that we've got a bit further to go yet before people really value that informal kind of learning as well. So, uh, yeah. But we're talking about informal learning. Um, what's the last book you read, Julie? Ah, uh, OK. I, n- I never just read one book. I've always got to <laughs> go. And usually there's um, there's some business books and there's a, a fiction book. So actually, Wonderful. I've just finished um, a couple of books, business books. One is called Benzon Economics, which is by Brian Dumain, and it is how Amazon's changing our lives and what wow. companies can learn from it, in fact. And it's, you know, whether you're a fan of Amazon or you're not, yeah. it's fascinating to read the story of the company and how it's Absolutely. evolved, and how, yeah. it's, how it's developed. And, and the other business book that I've just finished reading is called um, the Ride of a Lifetime, and it's by the CEO of Walt Disney, Robert oh, wow. Iger, and he focuses on um, creative leadership. Fantastic. Um, so again, very, yeah. very different from from Amazon, but great in terms of of this of the story that he tells about his his time and and uh, his leadership experience at yeah. um, Walt Disney too. Because yeah. they are wow. different leadership challenges, aren't they? The the, yeah. the leadership challenge of um, Gross the wrong word, proficiency, getting better and better and better and better at a, a long-term sustainable yeah. direction like as Amazon and um, and cr- creative leadership. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Exactly. Two, two really quite different yeah. kind of challenges. But it's interesting, there's overlap because it also, the, the book on Amazon also shows about the innovation and the creativity yeah, yeah. that goes on as, as well. Yeah, but uh, yeah, fascinating. 
Well, both sound fantastic. I love those books about uh, about the big sort of tech companies that have grown up. And uh, one of my favourites still remains uh, the, the one about Google, actually about the inside story from there that I, I read probably for the first time about 10 years ago. It's incredible when you see how how it, yeah, how people evolve, how the, the companies have evolved and the decisions, the really crucial moments that actually took place in those businesses. And, uh, and again, I'm damn sure that Amazon One has the same content. So I look forward to reading that one. So thanks for adding that to my list. That's a that's a good one. Well, uh, where I kind of naturally go to, um, and and by the way, whenever anyone says to me it's the new normal, I say it's not. It's just normal. Yeah. It's just normal, yeah. right? Yeah. So so I love the fact you picked up on that at the start, you know. And it will continue because because I think people do struggle to change their behaviours, you know. And change should always start, you know, internally with your thought process and and your behaviours, and then how you act. But um, you know. We're, come, we're going to come out the other side, right? We're going yeah. to have a post-COVID-19 world. We've got all of these opportunities, uh, you know, to to do things right and reconstruct and digitize our businesses and think about the environment and think about long-term sustainability. But what what do you think is going to be the major changes in relation to probably education, because that's, you know, the, the, the section in which you work, around education and change management, what are going to be those major changes for leadership post-COVID, do you think? What do you see? I, I think there'll be more, certainly within education, as we've started to look at more um, virtual teaching, so mm. live streaming teaching, that there will be much more of that done as well. Yeah. I also think there'll be more of a demand for um online teaching so for example um we run an online mba at durham um and i think that the demand for that we've certainly seen an increase in applications so i think as people have become more are are adapting to working in a a remote environment online virtually that there will certainly be more of an increase in the the field of education. I, I don't think it will take over, you know, completely. And I wouldn't no, want yeah, to, no. to, to do. I, I think it's much more about looking at a blended approach. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Maybe some teaching that is done face to face in the class, and then there is some that is done virtually as well. And certainly, what we have found is that using the virtual environment, we can bring in thought leaders from across the globe. So we don't need to fly them in. Anymore. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. That's the difference from across the globe, which can help the whole enriches everything, experience doesn't it? Of, of students, just in terms of their network and their engagement with um you know uh, strategic leaders in different organizations uh, worldwide yeah no, brilliant I, th- I think that's a great opportunity i i love the fact that that's actually one of the changes that's come in 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 terms of that actually you've it, it it's like julie we keep talking as well about um one of the changes for leadership post covid is about that embracing the remote work and um, therefore who you can now recruit on the basis that there's no requirement or a lower requirement for them to travel to an office because by doing that, you're increasing your talent pool, okay, massively. And for some people, that will be a game changer in terms of uh, who and how they operate the business. But I like the fact that, again, from an educational perspective, you can increase your talent pool by those people that come to actually talk to the students. So, again, fantastic opportunities all around. No, absolutely. And the other thing that kind of springs to mind from that, and again, this just, you know, um, quick thoughts on the fly, really. But where does that, you know, because onboarding new people, completely digitally right completely in the remote world um where do you think in the long term that's going to play when you look at the the, the business school kind of 101 stuff on 
what should we do around organizational purpose and values uh, you know how how's that going to change how we hold organizations together so if if we go forward and sustainably we're now using a lot of remote working how do you think that's going to affect sort of organization cultures and how they attract people and how they retain people it will mean that elements of cultures will have to change in order yeah. to adapt to that that's really important and mm-hmm, um, it, it's very difficult for a culture wholesale to change of course um, but i think the cultures will have to to become more open to that and to evolve to t- take that on board as well um and to look at how that can be done. You know, we, for example, for our students, we're looking at our inductions being online. Yeah, ah, right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, on, in an online environment. So it is about how we adapt and how we use technology to enable us to effectively um, educate our students. I think that's important. As I say, it's not going to take over completely, but no. it's about being able to use it in a blended way that is absolutely vital. Yeah, no, definitely. Definitely. And uh, I'm going to uh, to jump to, to one of my next questions that I love asking people, Julie, which is what's your leadership legacy going to be? Oh, it's my leadership. <laughs> OK, uh, that's a big one, that one, isn't it? That's a real challenge, that one. Um, I, I, I guess it's, it's probably about being able to to have influenced how people think, how they consider, um, how they do change in an organization. Yeah. I think that's important. I mean, there's a lovely quote from um, Mother Teresa that says, I alone cannot change the world but I can cast a stone across the water to create many ripples. So I guess I can have created some ripples along the way and got people to, you know, maybe just think differently or challenge what I've been doing um, and have, you know, just provided some guidance on how they, they, they um, implement and create change in organizations. That would be a good way. I love it. Creating ripples. Yeah, what a fantastic thought. Um, and uh, the, the exciting bit then, what projects are you currently working on that you can tell us about? Oh, yes. OK, so I um, um, just completed a global study, which is about the role of HR in change. So oh. I have conducted a study with HR managers and non-HR managers, and I'm just currently writing that up and completing it for my next book, which is called Reshaping HR, the role of HR in organizational change. And it has, it is fascinating um, completing that book, but taking into account the impact of the, the global pandemic, because I think that that has had a, a real significant impact on what HR had to do at the start. So HR yeah. Really key in terms of making sure that people were, you know, transitioned to home working very, very quickly, but also have had to support people throughout the the global pandemic. But actually, what I've been looking at is what does that mean for the future role of HR? Sure. Yeah. Well, that's interesting. Brilliant. Look forward to seeing that. And when's that one due out, Julie? Uh, that will be the beginning of next year. Yeah, wonderful probably wonderful well well we'll we'll keep looking out for that maybe we'll uh we'll bring you back so you can tell us about it at its book launch okay and uh we can spend half an hour talking about that that sounds exciting and uh i, I always ask people uh, as well as part of this julie can you leave us with some resources for our listeners 
to go and look at, please. I would say, yeah, check out my LinkedIn site because I post articles up there and I, I posted one earlier this week and I'll be posting more over the next uh, few weeks. So do please connect with me on, on LinkedIn and uh, you'll have all my articles there too. Yeah. Brilliant. Wonderful. Well, I'm going to uh, post your LinkedIn uh, URL at the bottom of the show notes as well with some other links to your books as well. Um, and I did mention at the beginning that the list of books that Julie's uh, uh, written that are incredible books. I'm proud to say I'm a bit of a fan. OK, and I've definitely got uh, the full collection. So, um, yeah, it won't take me long to post those, those links. And um, yeah, I, you've, you've contributed to one as well, haven't you? I, I, I did. And uh, I'm incredibly proud of that, Julie. My uh, my right. kids know all about that and uh, I intend to tell my grandkids about it as well. So, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> thank you for letting me do that. But yeah, we, we're going to post all the links. So all the listeners will be able to uh, still con consume your wisdom uh, long after this podcast is finished. Um, Ian, any final thoughts before we wrap no, up? No, just 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 a, a humble thank you so much. Fantastic, fantastic meeting you. Fantastic hearing some of your thoughts on the, on this this subject. And um, I'm looking forward to reshaping HR coming out in Jan 2021. I'm looking forward to that. Yeah, thank definitely. you. Awesome. Thank you very much for the invitation uh, to join you today. No problem. So um, thanks very much to uh, to Julie for taking part with us on Leadership the Future and T. Thanks for all the all the listeners. And uh, please um, have a have another think about what Julie's talked about today. Uh, I love the adaptability that we've talked about for future leaders and what's needed when they do actually get back uh, post COVID. Uh, please look out for the next episodes and uh, feel free to rate us and uh, subscribe through one of the many channels available. Thanks, Julie. Goodbye, everybody. Thanks, Julie. Bye, everyone. Thanks for listening. Please subscribe through Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts or Spotify so we can continue to reach more people and spread the message.